Welcome to Health Now, WebMD's podcast all about health, wellness, and you. I'm your host, Carrie Gann. Today, we're talking to Arden Moore, a pet health and safety coach. She teaches pet first aid using her own dog and cat as live models. She also hosts a podcast, which was selected by Oprah as one of the best pet podcasts. Before we hear from Arden, though, I wanted to ask you for a favor. Can you make sure you've subscribed to this show? That way, you'll never miss an episode. Also, take a second to leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. That will help other listeners find out about us, too. Thanks. Okay, let's get started. Who doesn't love to come home to a warm greeting from a much-beloved pet? Joining us today is a woman who's made it her goal to help us keep our furry friends healthy and happy. That's pet health and safety coach Arden Moore. Arden founded the hands-on course Pet First Aid For You, and she's also the host of Oh Behave, a podcast that's the number one show on Pet Life Radio. Arden, welcome to the podcast. Hey, big pause up, Carrie. How you doing? I'm doing pretty well. In addition to your current gigs, you're also a longtime journalist with time in the newspaper industry and at Rodale Press. Can you give us just a brief thumbnail life history and let us know when you made the pivot to pets? I grew up in the Midwest in a town called Crown Point where it was famous because Dillinger escaped from our jail, our escape-proof jail, by taking a piece of soap and uh, black shoe polish and carving it into the shape of a gun. So I think I have, from the very beginning, have always had a curious nature, and that's something good if you're going to be a journalist or a teacher. And uh, so for 20 years, I covered everything from Super Bowls and space shuttles and serial killers as a daily newspaper reporter in the Midwest and in South Florida. And then, I, like you said, I went to Rodale Press, which for you folks, you know it as Men's Health Prevention Magazine. And I got to be able to be in the book division as well. And then 20 years ago, I made the call to just uh, no longer have that safety parachute called a, a W-2 and became self-employed. And I'm busier than ever. I've written over 30 books and magazines. I'm an editor, a writer. But I've always had a connection with pets. Um, when I went to Rodale Press, that's when I made that pivot to Pets, Carrie, because we started a magazine there called uh, Pets, Part of the Family. And uh, when I left Rodale, I started immediately writing for Dog Fancy and Cat Fancy, the top publications in Prevention Magazine. But I always wanted to do uh, stories about pets and articles that had to do with behavior and health, not, oh, I have a cute little dog. So I've been very happy because every day I get to learn something and every day I get to share something and I get to work with the uh, top brainiacs in the field of veterinary medicine, animal behavior, uh, shelter medicine, things like that. So I'm a pretty happy dog. I'm a lucky dog, Carrie. (laughs) That's a job that I think most people would really enjoy. Tell us about your current furry family members who I know feature on your podcast and and on your website. I know about there's Kona the dog and Casey the cat. Do you have more? Yeah, we have to give them top billing, first of all. Ice Cream Kona, full name, is a (laughs) shelter alum from uh, Rancho Costa Humane Society in Escondidas, California. And she's a terrier mix. And we call her pet safety dog Kona. She has done uh, three levels of obedience, got her canine good citizen, and is a certified therapy pet, but she rocks it as my canine assistant in our uh, vet-approved 
pet first aid classes and our behavior classes, and we teach kid classes too. And then Pet Safety Cat Casey, a.k.a. the feline George Clooney, because ladies love him and the dudes do too. (laughs) He is the most confident cat I've ever known, and he hails from the San Diego Humane Society. He is a, uh, has never met a stranger, never felt like he's in a strange place. He also went through the training to become a certified therapy pet. He rolls in on a stroller wearing a cowboy hat, does a high paw, walks on a leash, jumps up on a table, talks to you when you ask him a question, and purrs like a Mack truck. Um, so I've been very blessed. Uh, it's kind of unusual to have a cat in a pet first aid class. And he purrs while people are doing the uh, gestures to do uh, pet for, uh, CPR. And here's this cat going. <laughs> so his job is to give uh, confidence to people, and he works for treats. But uh, I did get married a couple years ago, and we merged our critters, and we have a furry Brady Bunch. Also in our home are uh, 80-pound Bujo who is a Bernese Mountain Dog mix. Very, very sweet. I call her my big black mountain. Then we have uh, Mikey. She's, he's a black cat. He's about 14, and he wants to kiss anybody who will let them. Um, then we have One-Eyed Mort. He's a brown-striped tabby that we rescued from the streets. And uh, last but certainly not least, we have my 17-year-plus dog, a little 12-pound terrier mix named Cleo, who was an original member of the SoCal Surf Dogs. And when I lived in California for 15 years, I moved to Texas a few years ago, she was part of the team. I could not believe this little dog loved to surf, and she's in the Guinness Book of World Records because there were 17 dogs on a modified board, and they rode it all the way into shore with the people from the Guinness folks recording it, and all the dogs that made it put in the record book. But bigger news, Carrie, is we raised $70,000 for the San Diego Humane Society. Wow. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) That's my team. And you know what? They all get along. As you mentioned, Kona and Casey are also your sidekicks on the Pet First Aid for You classes, where you teach CPR and rescue breathing, plus general first aid. Uh, Tell us how those got started. Well, as a journalist, I'm always curious, and I always want to learn, and I always want to get information for the most credible source. But what I found when I was uh, uh, beginning in the field of pets was that I was learning a lot about behavior and health and teaching classes on that. I even created National Dog Party Day, where it's a party with a purpose, and we would give uh, raise money for medium to small-sized shelters. But I felt like there's a big piece missing, and that was safety and first aid. Uh, Carrie, if I could wave a magic wand, the biggest gift I would give pets all over would be that their pet parents and those who care for them as pet professionals would all have taken classes in pet first aid. It's like one of the best gifts you can give anyone. So I began uh, becoming an instructor at a program. I learned from other programs. And then uh, in about eight years ago, I created Pet First Aid for You. It's a four and a U. And uh, everything that we teach is approved by a team of stellar veterinarians that specialize in emergency medicine, internal medicine, 
feline medicine. We have Dr. Marty Becker, America's Family Vet. We have uh, Dr. Mike Lasasso. He is an amazing ER vet, and he's in this area, so he helps teach me. And we have Dr. Elizabeth Colloran, who's the past president of the American Academy of Feline Practitioners. So I just, I went big or went home, and it's always changing. So things change in in pet medicine and pet first aid, just like they do in human medicine and human first aid. So that's why it's nice that we always try to present the latest protocols in pet first aid. What are the situations that you're preparing pet parents for? I have two dogs, and I can tell you right now, I have not the slightest clue what I would do if they were ever in some sort of an emergency. Well, the, the biggest thing, Carrie, is that I tell them in the beginning, we're going to teach you to be in the present moment. And that means like you're like, oh, yeah, that's no big deal. No, it's a big deal. Because if you're worrying about what happened or fretting about what could happen, you can't be there to be able to render aid to a pet when minutes can count. The second thing I tell people is I'm going to give you permission to freak out later. And what that means is when you're in the moment of giving a, uh, helping a bloody paw or a, a dog or a cat who collapses because they were choking on something, you know that when everything has stabilized, then you can panic and all that, but they need you now. And then the third skill I teach people is to be like a pet detective. You need to do a 360, which means before you ever approach an injured or uh, animal, you have to look forward, up, left, right, down, and behind you. That's something first responders always do, like firefighters and paramedics and police, because you don't want to put yourself in danger in the rush to be able to help a pet or, you know, that's injured. The whole purpose of pet first aid is to be that uh, life-saving uh, bridge between the uh-oh and the veterinary clinic. Life happens to all of our dogs and cats. They can uh, cut their paw on glass. They could drown. They could get bit by a spider. They could be in a dog fight. They could slip and fall. Um, they could, um, you know, choke on a rawhide. They could eat poisoned food that they don't realize, and, 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 and you have to take care of them. So the whole purpose of what I teach in our classes is to be that first responder, to be able to stabilize, immobilize, and get the pet to the vet. You talk about being a detective to figure out what caused your pet's <laughs> injury, which is important because obviously your pets can't tell you what's wrong or how they're feeling or what happened. What are some common pet misdiagnoses that you've run into that you can tell us about? Well, in our classes, we teach people at the end, uh, to do a head-to-tail assessment on your dog or cat. It's, it's kind of a nice bonding moment, one-on-one -on -one with just you and your pet. If you have a menagerie like mine, it's, it's one pet with you. The others are, you know, in other rooms so that you can focus. But you get to know what's normal in your dog or cat. But there are some things that can mimic something else. For example, a, a dog or a cat could get bit by a, a black widow spider or a brown recluse. And it could, that injury spot, the bite spot, could start to swell and get red and pussy. The dog or the cat might have a fever. You know, they could um, start uh, having trouble, uh, you know, staying awake. And that could also be the same thing as some dog or cat. They may have been bitten, and there's an abscess that pops up on 
the dog's skin or the cat's skin. You know, when a dog or a cat gets bit and you've got that canine tooth going through the skin, depending on the length of the tooth that does the biting and puncturing and the size of the pet that gets bit, that bottom of that canine tooth could actually strike an organ and there's bacteria on it and there could be some, you know, you know, infection and 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 so it could be the same thing. It looks like a spider bite, but we don't know for sure. Or it could be an abscess. That's why um, you you know any clues that you can give your veterinarian right up front is the best way to be, uh, because like you said, they, our dog or cat doesn't say, "I just saw that brown recluse. He bit me and he left." <laughs> <laughs> you not, know, so even um, dogs as well you know. trained as yours are not going to be able to give that kind of information. No, no. <laughs> They don't do really well in charades. They're not, they're not on my charade team, no. The other thing is that people seem to think that they can do a misconception is a dog or a cat gets a, a minor skin injury or wound, and they reach for the hydrogen peroxide. And if I could put a big no pet banner on hydrogen peroxide, I can. It's a big issue um, being raised by a lot of emergency veterinarians. Dog and cat skin and wound injuries are a little bit different sometimes to take care of than for human skin. And hydrogen peroxide is a big no-no to use as a wound cleaner on dogs or cats because it actually uh, kills healthy skin around the wound injury. So, you know, plain water, uh, you know, neosporine, dog or cat safe over-the-counter cleaning products are much, much better so it's a misconception uh, to use hydrogen peroxide to clean a wound. The only reason you see hydrogen peroxide in a dog or cat pet first aid kit is it's used orally under veterinary guidance to induce vomiting. If a dog or cat mm-hmm. ate some kind of poison and isn't erping it up, you know, hydrogen peroxide, trust me, will bring it back up. Wow. And the other misconception is you have a really hot pet that's getting a heat stroke. And you think, well, they're so hot, I'm just going to put some ice packs on them. Well, uh, ice is the, op- is the opposite of the hot, and because it's so polar opposite, it can actually cause a dog or cat to go into shock because the organs are like, I'm really, really hot right now. Oh, I'm ice cold. So I, use, I jokingly say in class, with apologies to vanilla ice, 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 not nice, baby. <laughs> Just go with cool water and put their paws in the cool water because they don't have skin pores like we do. They cool through their paws and panting. But if you have a really hot dog, cool water is far safer. Don't use ice. What are some common pet health myths like that that you often run into that maybe you could bust for us right now? Well, I think people think when a dog is limping that it's, it's a sprain, and it could be a hairline fracture. We don't have Superman x-ray vision. That's only determined by a radiograph, you know, at, at the vet clinic. So you, you need to treat it as the same and be able to, uh, we show you how to splint a leg so that you can uh, take the weight off that limb. Another misconception, though, is if a dog or a cat really has a serious break where it broke the skin and bone is poking through, it is a misconception to want to wrap that break because you're actually trapping in all the contaminants 
with the gauze. And then the other kind of misconception is when you're doing rescue breaths on a dog or a cat, for some reason, sometimes people think you're supposed to blow into their mouth. Um, It's our mouth on their nostril. We call it mouth to snout. And uh, you always need to make sure there's nothing in the mouth that you can see in the dog or cat that's unconscious before you take your first breath of air because you can actually blow in to the body uh, something that they were choking on that bloke, you know, might have blocked their air, air hole. So you don't want to have like a rough edge of a rawhide sliding down the throat into the stomach because you're just lacerating the throat. And then the other thing is when you do rescue breathing, you don't need to be a tuba player. I don't know what it is with folks, but they think they have to take this huge breath and breathe with a, the, the, we do an airtight seal on the muzzle and you blow your mouth into their nostrils, but you're always turning to see how the air is getting to the lungs. And if you're blowing too hard, you're going to fill that, that stomach with air. And guess what, Carrie? It's going to come out. Whatever is in that stomach is going to come out the mouth, and that's not going to be very fun. Wow. So you kind of have to know what's a normal breath in a dog or a cat. So if you've got a Pekingese and you've got a um, cane corso, obviously the amount of air you're breathing is going to be widely different. Obviously, trying to do CPR on a dog is a lot different than trying to do it on a person. Are there barriers that pet owners have to overcome in order to, to feel confident in these skills? Well, uh, in our class, everybody has a, a, a demonstration dog, a little plush dog. It looks like a golden retriever with their tongue out. Um, but we also have Casey and Kona. So there's, a, there's, a, there's several skills that we uh, practice uh, hands-on, if you will. One of them is everybody gets to learn how to wrap a bloody paw uh, how to splint a broken leg, how to do sort of the dog-cat Heimlich version, if you will. If a dog or a cat is choking and they're conscious still, we show on Kona and Casey, you go down the end of the sternum uh, underneath and there's this little soft spot and you make a little fist and you cup it and you go up and forward on the exhales like a, like a backwards J. And so it's good for them to do that. We do help them when it comes to eye washes, burns, like I said before, simple fractures or sprains. We teach them how to, use, how to safely transport a dog or a cat. Like if you have a huge dog and you need to pick that dog up to get them in a car or vehicle, one of my mutt giver tips is you can take uh, something like those checkout bags you get at um, Ikea, those big blue plastic bags oh, with lids. Oh, right, those giant I plastic cu- bags. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They, co- they cost a buck or whatever. I cut the front end and the back end, so now I have a makeshift gurney that's lightweight. But the key to it all is if you have something that's coated like that, it doesn't rip apart, but also when you have to go across carpet or a rug, there's no uh, friction like you would if you had wrapped a dog or a cat in a towel or a blanket. So mm-hmm. it's just little tips and tricks like that. Um, we also, everybody gets to towel wrap Casey. We show different perrito wraps because uh, for safety reasons, when you're giving medicine to a dog or a cat, especially a cat, they have, I call it, five weapons of mass destruction, you know, their claws and their teeth. And so we show you how to wrap cats safely 
and how to put them in uh, a top-sided carrier. So I'm all about being practical because, trust me, Carrie, none of us walk around this earth carrying a big old giant pet first aid kit, right? That's so but true. But we do, we do wear clothes. So, you know, we talk about how you can use your shoelaces, your drawstrings on your, on your hooded sweatshirt. We talk about how plants like aloe, we call it aloe, can be your palo, and how you can use that as a, uh, the green goo in uh, the aloe plant you can use as uh, for mild to moderate burns and wounds. I want to talk about your, your podcast for a second. You're not only one of the first pet podcasters, you're one of the first podcasters, period. Walk us through the life cycle of your podcast, Oh Behave, and what was it like in the early days of podcasting? Well, um, the Oh Behave show is on Pet Life Radio, and I've been on the air about 11 years, and Mark Winter is the executive producer of Pet Life Radio for all the shows. And I was writing for different magazines, and I was doing a lot of satellite media tours, and I was on TV and radio as a guest back then. And he approached me and said he was going to create a pet podcast network. And I'm like, what? What's a podcast? So uh, <laughs> I, it was the early days. We used Skype, which is getting better and better. But uh, it's a half-hour show. It's recorded, thank goodness. And um, we just started humbly, and it just started picking up uh, uh, steam. And now I'm in my 11th year, and uh, we've done almost 400 shows. And you've spoken to celebrities and vets on topics ranging from pet health to fundraisers to a tour of the Hemingway House in Key West to visit <laughs> the cats that yep. live there. Is there an overarching theme for the podcast? Yeah, the whole focus of Oh Behave is to edutain. Um, when you're talking to somebody on the radio, you don't want to sound like a monotone, so they just tune you out, if you will. So I purposely try to find guests who are engaging in topics of interest. And sometimes I do a lot of traveling, so I have a portable microphone. So, yes, I did go to the Hemingway House and got to do an episode from there, and it's kind of amazing. They're polydactyls. They're multi-toed cats. They have more than five claws, paws, claws on their paws, and it all could be traced back to some saline cat named Snowball. And so, you know, it's kind of nice to find things like that. Um, last December, I went to the um, to Freeport, Bahamas, and there's a lady there, Tip Burroughs, who's the director of the Humane Society of the Grand Bahama, it has been in existence for 51 years. And they have a cattery and dogs. The dogs are called pot cakes because years ago in, on the islands, dogs would eat whatever was at the bottom of the pot, which is usually rice and peas and corn and things like that. Hmm. So we went and did a whole tour and a story behind the pot cakes and, and tip uh, burrows. And now that's the that is the place that got hit by Hurricane Dorian. Mm. So once things settle down, I'm going to have her back on my show, and we're going to raise money for that shelter. She and four other shelter workers hold up in that a shelter for the 41-plus hours that it was pounding the island, and um, they were able to save about half the dogs and cats. And wow. it, it was pretty chilling. 
And so when I meet people like her, I'm definitely going to have her back on the show because the one thing you can do with a podcast is you might be able to help a cause that's really deserving and also give people great information in a kind of a conversational tone. So Absolutely. You know. And you were actually mm-hmm. selected by Oprah as one of the best pet podcasts out there, which has to have felt pretty good. <laughs> yeah, but I'm still waiting for my car. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, I got the accolade. It is nice. I mean, I do. I mean, it, it's for two years in a row, she has selected the Behaves show as one of her top three pet podcasts. So that, that's very nice. And, right. and we've had, uh, you know, that means a lot because she's quite the, the pet advocate and pet lover. Absolutely. Well, what are some of your favorite episodes of the show? I had Betty White on my show, who oh, is the longest probably pet advocate on the planet. And I remember, Carrie, I introduced her as a six-time Emmy Award winner, and she breaks right in and she goes, oh, no, dear, it's been seven. I just picked up another one. <laughs> she, was just, she was really funny. She had a, had a dog, a golden retriever uh, uh, named Pontiac, and then she would say things like, well, Pontiac like the Indian chief, not the, the car. And, but she was very sharp and smart. And uh, so after the episode aired, I met her at a big uh, American Humane Society event in Beverly Hills. It was called the Hero Dog Awards, and this is the best. I got to do another episode with her with my microphone on the red carpet on my birthday. Best birthday ever. That would be the best birthday so, ever. Uh, oh, my gosh. You can't top yeah. that. Yeah, and then... No, and then Tim Conway, though, he just passed away, but he was on my show. He was in some movie with pets or something, and he gave the best line I've ever heard of a host, of a guest. I said, he has dogs or cats, and I said, what's the name of your dog, Tim? I don't know. Um, why don't you know? He's never told me. <laughs> <laughs> that, sounds, that sounds like Tim Conway. <laughs> yeah. In addition to podcasting, you've also written nearly 30 books about cats and dogs, and 10 more on various topics from health to gardening. Are you still writing books and in the publishing game? Yes, I have very, very strong typing fingers. And I'm really excited, Carrie, because my next two books coming out this spring are called A Kid's Guide to Dogs and A Kid's Guide to Cats. And it's with my original publisher. I've worked with several. This one's Story. And throughout the pages of the book, it's for kids eight years and older, will be little sidebars from Kona and Casey talking to the, do- the kids on different insights into the cat and dog world. There's some DIYs in there. We've had kids. I assembled all these kids to ask questions, and I found vets to answer them. There's, it just, it's a very colorful, lot of action kind of a book. I think it's about 150 pages and uh, I'm really excited because I think they're our next generation of do-gooders for pets. This is sort of a broad question, but I feel like you might have some good insights here. What do you want for most people to know about living with animals? I want them to know that they're probably the luckiest two-leggers on the planet because if we give dogs and cats and other companion animals a chance, they're going to make us, as I call us, better humans. By that, I mean they give us unconditional love. They're actually good for us health-wise, mentally and physically. They lo- the, the art of purring can actually lower blood pressure and petting a dog. 
It also can help lower your level of stress and the cortisol in your brain. We are just tapping into all the healing powers of dogs and cats. They're very intuitive. There's a new whole group of dogs that are being trained to help uh, folks that have PTSD and autism and to detect uh, diabetes. So I just think if we have a dog or cat in our life and we treat them well and help them feel safe, give them comfortable bedding, quality food, and always engage their brain because no one wants to be a hairy piece of furniture, whether you're a dog or a cat. So make time to do a walk. Make time to teach your cat a new trick. Make time to introduce your dog or cat to a new place or a new adventure. And the payoffs are going to be so much. I think I'm a much better person because of all the pets in my life, from my first cat named Corky who swam in our backyard lake to the furry Brady Bunch that I have right now. (laughs) If you take care of them, they'll take care of you at the same time. That's right. Arden Bohr, pet health and safety coach and podcaster extraordinaire. It's been really wonderful to talk to you. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, I've really enjoyed being a guest on your show, Carrie, and uh, thank you very, very much. WebMD rocks. Here's our tweak of the week. Make a pet first aid kit. You'll want to be ready for whatever comes up. Your kit should include these things, according to the American Veterinary Medical Association. Just remember, some of these items may sound familiar from your own first aid kit for people, but you want the versions that are made for pets, not humans. Start with key phone numbers for your vet and the Animal Poison Control Center. That's 888-426-4435. Then make sure you have pet-safe gauze, bandages, and adhesive tape for the bandages. Don't use adhesive bandages made for people on a pet. Also, make sure you have milk of magnesia and activated charcoal in case your pet ate something poisonous. You should still call your vet or the Animal Poison Control Center before you use these on your pet. Make sure you have a digital fever rectal thermometer. Don't use one made for people. The temperature scale doesn't go high enough for pets. Then include hydrogen peroxide, an eyedropper, a muzzle, and a leash. You can also have a stretcher in case you have to move your injured pet. In a pinch, you can use a blanket, a board, or a floor mat. Hopefully you'll never need these things, but in case you do, it's great to have them all in one place. Thanks for joining us today. Hope you can tune in next time. Until then, keep up with WebMD on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Bye for now.